Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Again, uh, thank you, worship team. Man, we are blessed as a church, as a community, uh, as we enter the presence of Jesus. Well, are, are you having a good day so far? How many get a barbecue in the rain today? All right, no. Uh, but happy Memorial uh, weekend. And uh, I, I'm, again, so proud of our interns. And I just want to give it up one more time to Garrison and Tracy for leading an incredible group. We love you guys. You guys are incredible. Dr. Stan, I don't think he's here, but Dr. Stan is amazing. And uh, we just, I mean, couldn't do it without him. World-class teacher. Could you give it up to, give it up to Dr. Stan uh, today? Okay, I have, a, I have a, um, a, an impossible task, okay? Do you want to go on a journey with me today? The impossible task is, as a pastor, it is our job to elucidate uh, truths and sometimes complicated truths uh, and make them simple. Uh, today, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. So go along with me in this journey, this ride. But today, I'm going to be talking about the Trinity in love. Everyone say the Trinity in love. And I'm being sort of facetious, but I'm going to do my very best to talk about the relationship between the Trinity and love. Are you with me? All my Dallas Cowboy fans said, amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to begin with, with asking this question, really a series of questions, and it's this, and this is obviously meant to be rhetorical. Why is it that relationships, everyone say relationships, why is it that relationships matter so much to us? Like, why are we relational creatures, right? Like, why, why, why is it that our favorite rom-coms is Gladiator and uh, Braveheart? No? Why do we like romantic comedies, right? My wife loves, that was a bad joke, loves Braveheart and uh, Gladiator. Uh, it's one of her favorite movies. But why, why do we love these movies that are centered around relationships, lost love, etc.? Why is it that we want deep and meaningful friendships? Why, why do we want to get married? Why do we want to have uh, kids? Why, why do we want it to be summertime? Everyone say summertime. Of course, when summertime hits, who do you listen to? The Fresh Prince, right? Summer, summer... Okay, no? Okay. Um, nostalgia's in the air. We, we love barbecue. How many of you love to barbecue? Right? You just don't... Maybe some of you like barbecuing by yourself, but I think most of us, normal people, like to barbecue and invite friends over. Right? Why is it that we like to do all this kind of stuff? For example, my, my wife and I, we took um, our seven children, our little nation, to the park uh, yesterday. And it's so funny, like we just shut the place down. I want you to imagine my family uh, coming out of the, our, our van is slow-mo, right? Everyone sees us and literally everyone who sees us leaves, right? So we essentially shut the park down. But what was so fascinating, my, it's funny, we, we call it the chicken park. My little daughter, Waverly, everyone say Waverly. She loves this park. Um, it's an eagle. She calls it the chicken park. So the first thing she always does, she runs to see the chicken. She stares at it for 20 minutes. And then she goes over to the playground and she strips naked. She's totally like her mom. Anyways, let's move on. Whoa. Okay. She did that yesterday. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. 
But the question is, okay, why do, why do we have this um, desire for relationship, for, we could call it relatedness? It, it seems to be built into us. So we were at the park yesterday with my seven kids, and what was so fascinating, we left the park, and my kids had made seven new friends. And they told me they're, they're, now, they're now, these seven new friends are now their best friends, right? I'm talking, I have four kids under the age of three, and they have now best friends. And they were playing in the sand and they were sharing their toys. And why is it that we are built for uh, relationships? Like I left the park with no friends. <laughs> Adults, we make things complicated, right? But I'm a father of seven, so I have a reason why I don't make friends anymore, okay? Sort of kidding. I do have friends. But the, 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 the issue or what, what's at stake here and what I want to really answer is why is it that we are so relational? Uh, on a more serious note, why is it that we grieve and recoil over the, over the horror of 19 kids being shot in their classroom? We would all say it's demonic. We would all say it's senseless. We would all say it's unimaginable evil. But we all know the reason why we say that is because at the heart of that murder or any murder in that respect is the violation of relationship. We are built for relationship. So the reason, and now I'm going to get to my, basically my big idea here, the reason we are built for relationships or because relationships matter so much is because love is the deepest desire of the human heart. Love, everyone say love. Not power, which I'm going to explain here quickly. Love is the deepest longing of the human heart. Sometimes I get it, it's not the strongest desire of the human heart. Like we know that sometimes we violate uh, love in the, in the matrices or the matrix, sorry for that word, but in the matrix of our relationships by hurting the people that we love most. Sometimes we can be selfish with the people that we love. Can I get an amen to that? How many of you have hurt someone that you've loved? Raise your hand. Okay. There's no judgment here. How many of you have been hurt by someone you love? Right? We all experience the betrayal and the, and the consequences of, of, of love's violation. And so we, we all know that on a fundamental level. So why is it that we are relational people? Is because love is the ultimate meaning of the universe. Not power, not fame, uh, not you curating your uh, self-help, whatever persona, profile. It is love that is the meaning of the universe. So this is my big idea really quick. And it's this, the reason love is possible. Everyone say possible. The reason love and not power or accruing stuff is the ultimate meaning of the universe is because of one simple truth. God is triune. The reason we love and the reason we want to be in community, even us introverts, even those of us who want to read a book and watch a movie and not be around people all the time, we still long for community. And all the introverts said, amen. That was most of you. All right. Okay. <laughs> the reason we are the way that we are is because, and this is my idea, please follow me, is because God is triune. Before I flesh out this idea and connect love with the Trinity, I think it's really important that I just define the Trinity really quick. And this is where I hope I do not lose you, okay? 
So I know this is going to sound incomprehensible, but just, just follow me on this little journey, this little treatise on the Trinity. The Trinity is classically defined is simply this. It's that God is one indivisible essence existing in three persons. Got it? You're like, huh? What? God is one indivisible essence existing in three persons. In fact, what we have in the New Testament is consciously Trinitarian. Uh, We find in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read this really quick. So you have some scripture to back up the Trinity. Verse 18 says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here we have Jesus making very clear that God is to be understood. In fact, the New Testament makes it very clear that God is to be understood within a Trinitarian perspective. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, one of the most important moments in the life of Jesus. Verse verse 16 says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We have the father speaking. We have the spirit of God descending like a dove and we have Jesus. What's important when we understand the Trinity is not to analyze it. The Bible never analyzes the Trinity like it's a mathematical puzzle. It simply assumes it. All right. So, so with me, so classically defined, God is one indivisible essence existing in three persons. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can believe in that. It's totally fine, but just follow along. Uh, I want to say this. The Trinity simply means that God is not just a simple essence with three modes of expression, which simply means is that God is unipersonal and he just has different expressions of that unipersonal Oneness, which is like he's one time a father and one time a son and one time the Holy Spirit. That is not who God is, nor is God a tritheism. Are you following along here? In, in essence, this is simply a being. Tritheism is a being uh, with three centers of consciousness functioning independently of each other. That's not who God is. God is one and God is three. I explained this perfectly to my daughter a couple of weeks ago because I'm the greatest teacher on the planet kidding. Um, and her response to me was dad, that doesn't make sense. And I sat there and I'm like, you know what? Exactly. It doesn't make sense. What's funny is that we try to come up with analogies to describe the Trinity and they all lead to heresy, you know? So I'm not going to use an analogy. I think it's important to understand. I'm not going to use a Latin phrase, but that it's, it's this, the finite cannot fully comprehend the infinite. It's important for us to understand. Blaise Pascal said this, it is possible to know God so long as we do not insist on understanding him. So what he is saying is that we can know God as he has revealed himself to us. We just can't know him exhaustively. It's kind of like with my kids, like communicating to my kids, my three-year-old children. It's really hard, guys. Trying to um, explain to them complicated things about TV and Peppa the Pig and why is Peppa the Pig sad and all that kind of stuff and make it accessible to them is virtually impossible, right? 
They just have to grow up and they just have to learn to trust their mom and dad that we know what we're talking about and to, you know, follow us as we, you know, lead them hopefully into flourishing. That's the same way with God. God wants us to trust him. I could go on and on and on about the Trinity, uh, but I simply want to say this as we bring this full circle back to love and the Trinity. It's so important that we don't try to put the mystery out of God. It's so important that we, like many of us, because we're Americans, we feel like, oh, we got all the knowledge. We're modern people. We got to have everything figured out about the future in our life. And sometimes if we're not careful, we try to figure God out in his ways. And I think for many people, the reason why it's hard to trust God is because we either consciously or um, unconsciously try to put the mystery out of God and try to figure out what he's doing. When God says, hey guys, I have a plan for you right now. Things might not make sense. Yes, you're going through a difficult season. You're upside down. You're trying to process your emotions. You're trying to figure everything out. And if I, man... I just, I want to tell you everything, but you want to be able to understand it because you would probably explode into tiny little particles. So God says, I just want you to trust me. I want you to trust the revelation that I've already given you. I want you to trust my promises. I want you to trust the communication that I already have with you. It's okay to figure some things out. It's not okay to try to figure everything out. That's why Psalm 119, I love it, says that God's word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say that God's word is a blazing sunshine that literally opens all the mysteries of the cosmos to you. Basically, God's word gives you enough light to see what's right in front of you so you can follow God in this trusting, loving relationship that he has for you. Just so you know that God wants to bless you and God knows you and he sees you and God has big plans for you. But it requires this loving, trusting response on our part. So as we bring this back full circle back to the Trinity and love Our passage that we read in John chapter 17, which is the closing of Jesus's farewell address, John zooms in on the remarkable relationship between Jesus and his father. The first thing that I want to mention, verse five says, Jesus states emphatically that he shares the same glory of the father before the world existed. So Jesus is emphasizing this Trinitarian um, uh, perspective, this Trinitarian nature of God, that he is one with the father. It's absolutely remarkable. Then we move into, uh, verses, uh, 24 through 26, as we read out of John chapter 17. And, uh, I'm going to go through this quickly. Jesus makes it very clear that the relationship between the father and the son, and then in chapter 16, which we did not read, read today and the spirit that there exists a loving intrapersonal, or we'll just say a loving relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He basically says, Father, I want my disciples to know the love that you and I had before the foundation of the world. So this relationship that Jesus has with the Father gives us a picture of what life was like before life existed. 
and what life was like before the world and time and space and matter and particles and atoms existed is that you had the Trinitarian community that was shaped by eternal love and relatedness. And everyone said, amen. And this is powerful. The, the love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit is remarkable. It is, and I'm just going to make the argument, is the grounds or the basis by which we as followers of Jesus live our lives. So what does that mean? What does the love between the Father, Son, and Spirit mean? It means that the Father or the Son or the Spirit, they, they don't perform for each other. They're not so insecure or feeling inadequate in their relationship with each other. They feel like they have to perform a certain way. They have to like do creation right here or create the stars in this particular matter or the father is going to be angry, right? No, there is this self-giving love that defines the Trinitarian community. There's no performance that's going on. The, The members of the Trinity are not insecure or feeling inadequate. The Trinity does not exist in a constant state of competitive infighting. The father and the son are not conspiring somewhere in the corner of the Milky Way um, against the Spirit. Are you hearing me? Like there isn't the competitive, there isn't a breakage in their relationship. It's powerful. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit express self-giving love from the beginning of time itself. So the reason we long for genuine relationship and for love is because God is triune from eternity. Okay, so Chris, how does that make sense? Why is that so? Well, it's really simple. Because there is no love. Everyone say no love. I'm seeing the big eyes. Okay, I know where I'm losing you. Are you guys with me? So you're like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. Right, the room's closing in. Just follow me. I'm almost done here. There is no love if there is no one else to love. The reason why this is so important is because, let me say it again, there is no love if there is no one else to love. Which means this. If God is not triune, then life is only about power. Why? Because there's no one else to love. If God is unipersonal, He's one, one simple essence, but not three persons. Then the act of creation is merely an act of power, not love. So then power is the basis of any sort of mercy or um, love or compassion. But the Bible, if that's the case, but the Bible shows us that God is triune. And if God is triune and exists in this eternal loving delightful relationship from the beginning of time, then love is the ultimate meaning of the universe because the father and the son and the spirit have loved each other from the very beginning. Are you with me? God is love because God is triune. And then we come to verses 20 through 24, and I can't read this, but the second thing that I want to emphasize is the loving relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit becomes a model for how we are called to live our lives. So Jesus says, Father, we are one. I also want our disciples to be one so that the world, everyone say the world, so the world will know that you have sent me. So this intrapersonal, this incredible 
eternal relationship between God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit becomes the basis for which we live our lives today. Are you hearing me? So what are the implications of this? There's so much more that we can talk about here today, but it's Memorial Day. We want to barbecue in the rain, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this plane really quick. What are the implications of the Trinity? Like, Chris, okay, okay, that's fine. Okay, you kind of explained it. Uh, how, how are we supposed to respond to this? Well, the first thing is, uh, and this is just my first point, is when we realize that when we're in Jesus, I want you to hear me. We no longer, because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exists in this eternal, self-giving, mutual relatedness, we then no longer have to perform. We no longer have to um, live in a constant state of anxiety. We no longer have to assume that we have to, and here's the thing, uh, it's amazing how we can take really good things like prayer and worship and reading God's word and the things that open up our heart and minds to the life of God, right? Those amazing things, God tools. Everyone say God tools. God has given us tools by which we can enter into the presence of God. However, if we're not careful, we can take the good things that God has given us and we can make them about performance. And so what happens if we're not careful, we can become so performance based that we start working from an assumption that all of life depends on what I do for God. The good news is if we understand that God is triune and if we are in Christ, we don't have to perform anymore. That the basis in which we have right standing with God and that we have access to his life and his grace and his power and we're charismatic here. So his anointing, right? And the mission that God has for us is not based on what we do. It's based on the unconditioned love and grace of God, which means that there's no condition that you could ever meet for God to love you more. There's no condition. And some of you here today are paralyzed by the notion that, man, I got to I got to perform, and it's probably mostly subconscious, but I got to perform today in worship, and I got to make sure I got to take a ton of notes, and I want you to worship, and I want you to take a lot of notes, because this is a really good message, right? And yes, those are all good things, but if we're not careful, we can turn those good things into some sort of performance resume, and then we, we come to God, and we say, okay, God, here it is, okay, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, and God's saying, hey, dude, no, 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 that's not how it works right? This is love. Not that you first loved me, but that I first loved you. First John. Come on, Romans chapter five. Can I, can I quote some scripture to you? Romans chapter five says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were broken and insecure and irritable, and we had slept for like days and years and we were losing our minds and we were doing the things that we were doing that were taking us further away from God's presence and love. God still loves us with an everlasting love. And that's so important for us to understand that God's love sets us free from this insatiable need to perform 
or to earn anything. Like I got to do something for God to do something for me. Here's the thing. God has done everything on the cross through his cross, his death, his burial, his bodily resurrection, his ascension into heaven. He's now in charge of all things. Guys, this is the good news. By his grace and grace alone, you have entered into this world changing, breathtaking relationship, partnership with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is now your identity. Come on, somebody. But this love also sets us free from doubt. How many of you ever doubted the love of God? You know what I have found as I close here many times um, in my own personal life, and I've been in the ministry long enough, 26 years. Can you believe it? I look like I'm 28. Thank you. All right. But I've counseled enough people to know that we pretty much believe God can do whatever he wants to do. But we really don't believe that God can do whatever he wants to do in our lives. In the details of our life, we call this situational atheism. We believe that God is all powerful. He can create the stars. He can paint the skies. He can create platypuses. That's amazing. And maybe he can do incredible things for other churches and other pastors or other blessed people. But we fail to believe that God could actually bless our lives. And this situa situational atheism affects so many people. And yet when we understand that God loves us with an everlasting love and that his love for you is extravagant and lavish, when you really rest in that, when you really sink into it, when you really believe it in your bones, it sets you free from doubt, anxiety. Come on, somebody. It sets you free even at times from depression. And yes, we need counseling and we need the support of other people. And sometimes we need a medication. But ultimately, somebody, can I get an amen? We need God. And we need his loving relationship. The Bible says perfect love cast out out all fear. And when we slowly begin to believe that in our mind and in our heart, we are set free from the paralyzing sense that all my world is going to spin out of control. God's in charge. You and I are not. And he loves you. So we're set free from this performance resume kind of lifestyle. We are set free from the paralyzing sense of doubt and fear and anxiety. We're also set free from envy. When you know you're loved by God, Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And then God knits you in the intricacies of your personality and your mother's womb, took your, just all, your, all the different aspects of your personality and he made you, you, you are set free from envy, and here's the thing, envy is so, is so twisted because envy is not simply you wanting what other people have. It's actually deeper than that. Envy is wanting what other people have and also those people that have the stuff that you don't have. Envy says, I don't want them to exist anymore. Envy is what? It's a violation of relationship. So when we are in Christ, in his love, we are set free from, and sometimes this is a process, I get it. We're set free from performance, we're set free from doubt, and we're set free from envy. And we are then set free to love exactly like Jesus loved. The reason why many of us, it's hard for us to love as Jesus loves is because we first have not started with opening our hearts to the love of God that he has for us. 
So we are set free to love like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Number two, as I close here, the reason why Trinity and understanding who God is is because we are called to love as a family, as a community. As one author said, the God of the incarnation is more domestic than monastic. He's not a solitary, um, isolated person. The God of the incarnation uh, is the God of love. And to say that the God is a God of love is to say that God is a community, a family, a shared existence. And whoever shares his or her existence inside of family and community experiences the very life of God. The life of God for you and I is found not apart from family, not apart from church, not apart from community, not apart from genuine loving relationships. It is found in it. God is a family. Are you hearing me this morning? God is a a loving community, right? And infinitely more than a community, but God is a community defined by infinite delight and self-giving love. And he wants to share that with us. And that life is shared in the context or the matrix of belonging to a family, being a part of community. This is why coming to church on Sundays and worshiping God and listening to messages is so important. It's it's not just simply the act of worship and it's all worship. Can I get an amen? It's not just simply, I'll say it this way, it's not simply just singing nice songs and just hearing a nice message, but it's learning to belong to the family of God. We, We have a shared existence right? We are called to serve and to love one another. Whether you like it or not, we belong to each other. You might not like me, but I love you, right? I might not even like you, but we're called to love each other, right? And that's not the case. Like, obviously we have different personalities and we come from different places and we have different backgrounds and we have different ways of seeing the world. I get it, but it's in Christ that we learn to become a family, a community that shares the very life of God. Not one person can share the entire life of God. We as the church share the entirety of God's love. Can I get an amen? So if God is triune, And if God is love, we are called to belong to a family. So how do we do this? As I close here, how do we belong? And there's a a lot of things we can talk about here today, but I'm going to not talk about it. I'm going to end. Do you think I could end in two minutes? No? Okay. Yeah. There was so much doubt in this room. My God. God loves you. Okay. Wow. No. How how do we belong in a family? How do we belong in a community? Well, I think it's really simple. Jesus said, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to become a what? A child. And what is Jesus explicitly saying? He's, He's reinforcing humility as the bedrock attitude of being childlike. In other words, if we want to move into community this summer, if we want to enter into genuine, deep, meaningful relationships, if we want to share the life that God has for us, if we want to be one as Christ has called us to be one, if we want to be who God's called us to be to a watching world, if we want to reflect the wisdom and the grace and the power of God back into the darkness in our world, we are called 
to walk in humility. So what does that practically mean? Well, I think it's much like what my kids did yesterday at the park. Just sheer naked vulnerability, literally and figuratively, okay? (laughs) Walked up to people their age and said, hi, let's play. You want to be my friend after about 10 minutes. And then after about 30 minutes, the question was, are we best friends now? What is that? Well, here's the thing. Love leads to humility and humility is willing to be inconvenienced. If we want to, if we really want to be community people, we can't just talk about it. If we want to be a part of a family, we want to share the life that God has for us. If we want to serve each other, if we truly want to fulfill the mission that God has for us, God has big plans for this church, people. God has big plans for the churches in this valley. God has big plans for the church in this nation. God is not through with us and his people. But if we want to get, um, uh, well, I don't know how I was going to say that. If we want to be a part of what God has for this church and what God has for this nation, we have to learn to be inconvenienced. We've got to be vulnerable. we got to like, hey, on a Sunday, this is really practical. I've seen you the last four weeks and I don't know your name. Please forgive me. Hi, my name is, hi, my name is, what's your name? It's as simple as that. It's stepping out of your comfort. It's like even today, this is a challenge for some of you. It's like going to the back lobby and signing up for a small group. Right? It's really learning to belong by being a part of a small group. Like some of you are like, oh my God, I don't want to become a part of a small group. I just don't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, if you go back, you will find that most of our small groups are hiking groups. Which I don't even understand because I hate hiking. Right? What's funny is that it, God has such a wonderful sense of humor. I'm not a hiking guy, but everyone here is a hiking guy. I'm not a camping guy, but everyone in Idaho loves camping and shooting their guns and all that kind of stuff. I'm not that kind of guy. Isn't it funny how God brings unlike people to, uh, together? And so one of my closest friends, Joel, a couple years ago said, hey, Chris, you're going to go hiking with me. I'm like, oh, okay. Went hiking with him. And then he said a year later, let's go, let's go camping. And we went camping and you know, I ended up loving it. It's amazing. But I also hated it because I got, it was, it's, camping is for people who want to suffer. Okay, let's move on. What's wrong with you people, right? But it's kind of fun because you like, you talk while you suffer with other people who are suffering. Chris, where are you going with this? I have no idea. Okay, no. The point that I'm trying to make is we got to be willing to be inconvenienced, right? Go on a hiking trip. Like maybe today, Find someone that maybe you know and invite them to to barbecue today in the rain or don't go in the rain. Go to Goodwood or something. We have to step outside of ourselves. That might not be a big step. Some of you are like, oh my God, I got to do everything this week. No, it could be a little baby steps. Maybe it's just introducing yourself. Maybe it's just kind of stepping out of your comfort. Maybe it's saying, okay, God's put that particular person in my heart. I'm going to pray for them and uh, we're going to bless them this week. I don't know what it is, but learning to walk Uh, as a people of love and learning to share the life that God has for us in community requires us to be inconvenienced. Church, can I get an amen? So this is why we love. This is why we are together. This is why we believe in small groups. This is why we serve the hell out of each other. This is why we, we want to be with unlike people. This is why we have different people from different walks of life that show up because God is a family.
Come on. We are built for relationships. So this summertime, turn on some fresh prints. Start a barbecue and start inviting people over, right? And just, you're like, I don't know what to say or what to do. Just be you. Invite people over. Drink some Diet Pepsi. Uh, not Don't go the alcohol way. Anyways, let's, okay? Just be safe and have fun and get to know people. This is what God has called us to be. We are a community. We are a family. And I want you to be a part of it. Can I get an amen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace today. I thank you for uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you've called us to be a family, a community of love. I thank you that it's the triune God that makes love possible. I thank you that is who you are, which makes performing no longer relevant. I thank you that because you are the God of love, you set us free from fear and anxiety. Perfect love casts out all fear. Although we just thank you that you would pour out your love on your sons and daughters here today. Lord, that you would do a fresh work in our minds and hearts, that we would know, we would know, we would know, we would know your love in deeper ways. Father, forgive us for trivial, trivial, trivializing your love and making it familiar. And Oh yeah, God loves me. But Father, I pray this summer that we would enter the depths of your love, that you would set us free from anxiety, from doubt, from fear, from trauma. There's some people here today, you've been in relationships, bad, dysfunctional relationships. You've experienced a lot of trauma. Holy Spirit, just ask you would come and bring healing to that trauma. Bring healing to that despair. Bring healing to that, but even hardness of heart or or just maybe an inability to trust anymore. Father, you know exactly what every person has gone through. I pray that you would set them free, whoever that might be, you would set them free from that trauma. Fill them with your love and grace. Bring healing to their heart and their mind. Lord, I thank you that you would give them a new perspective of what it means to follow you. And Lord, I thank you as a community that we would come together in fresh ways and we would learn to to love as a family. Lord, we would share your life as we learn to give our lives away for each other. Lord, help us to serve. Help us to get out of ourselves. Lord, we, we make a decision. Lord, we feel the challenge of the Holy Spirit today, but we make a decision to be inconvenienced by you, Holy Spirit. We say yes to whatever you want to do through us. Our desire is to serve and to love and to bless and to see people and to know them and to, Lord, be a part of your healing work in the lives of other people. So we thank you, Father, for just a fresh work uh, to be uh, uh, worked out in our lives this summer in Jesus' mighty name. So I pray your blessing over your sons and daughters. We love you, and we thank you for your everlasting love. And if you love Jesus, can you give God an amen this morning? Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.